You are listening to the Talisha Talks podcast for women who conquer. I'm your host, coach, and life lover, Talisha Kim. It is my personal mission to help you live your best life, have radical joy, and turn perfectionism into purpose. In this podcast, you will explore the meaningful parts of your life, reinvent yourself, and turn your dream life into a reality. Yes, you really can have it all. Hello, it's Talisha Kim, your emotional healing coach. Today, I am talking with Jessica Stone, a Washington-based news anchor and correspondent. She has gained a lifetime of experiences with many different cultures and is passionate about freedom of speech, taking risks, and working cross-culturally. One thing I love, Jessica, that you said is that we all live in a bubble and we need to make it our business to burst our bubble. And I am just so excited to learn from you today and explore the conversations that are just needing to be had right now in the world. So welcome, Jessica. I'm so glad to have you on today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, It's amazing. So tell us a little bit more about your passions and about who you are. So I would say my passion is learning, and that has led me down the path of journalism. Um, I have kind of been cross-culturally learning basically since birth because of the way in which I was raised. My dad uh, was raised Jewish and my mom was raised Catholic. And before I was born, they had a pretty radical conversion to Protestant Christianity in San Francisco. But then before I was born, they moved from progressive San Francisco to very traditional Mobile, Alabama. And so I had this layers of culture clash in my childhood that I think in many ways prepared me or maybe programmed me to um, be somehow subconsciously drawn to those same kinds of environments in my work life and my professional life. Um, And that's part of the reason why I've sort of realized in hindsight that, hey, like everything makes sense in the rearview mirror, all the choices (laughs) I made that maybe didn't make sense to other people. But I am really passionate about um, about cross-cultural competency because, uh, you know, look, our, our world is shrinking. And, and when I say that, it's shrinking technologically. It's shrinking um, by virtue of the fact that we work cross-culturally so much more frequently within our country and across continents. And I've had the privilege to work all over the world. And, um, whether, and really, it's not just the province of people who are in multinational corporations or who, you know, work for a Kellogg's or a GM. This is something that we're all doing now because we have so many immigrants from around the world. I mean, I was born um, before all of the wars, right? So ever since we started going to war, we started having refugees. I can go to my local Home Depot and talk to Afghans about the Kabul election who are going to sell me dirt. Yeah, that's, you know, and I and and many people around even in the even in in the Midwest, you still have this there. There's much more diversity and culture going on in our country. And while we're having this great conversation and this needed conversation around diversity and inclusion in terms of African Americans and black Americans, right, um, they will argue they're not the same thing. (laughs) Something that a lot of people uh, don't always grasp. Um, We're having that conversation. But I think in addition to that conversation and maybe coming around that conversation, we need to acknowledge all of the cultural richness and complexity that are even our own country encompasses and that demands a different skill set from us than maybe we thought we needed to get along in the work world or even in our neighborhoods. You know, I mean, uh, and I, I would probably argue it happens more in the work world because let's face it, we don't always we're not always drawn to neighborhoods that are different than our cultural comfort zone. 
um, unless we seek that out. Yeah, so, I think that's, that's very true. And I know even from my own experiences, when I was going to school, there wasn't a lot of cultural diversity. But when there was, it was a little bit scary for me. Of like, well, what do I say? How do I approach this conversation? What if I say something wrong? You know, what if yeah. I offend and I'm not... I'm not diverse enough myself in my own education and training to be able to connect. And so I'm really grateful that we're having this conversation because I think it is so needed for any place, but especially in the workforces, I think as we are progressing and learning more about race and cultural diversity opportunities, we need to be able to have communication and be able to talk with our coworkers and people around us. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I would tell the person that you were when that happened to you, just be a student. Yeah. It, own that what you don't know and say, listen, I, I, you know, you're the first person from XYZ country or culture that I've met. Or if you don't want to admit that, just say, hey, listen, I don't get <laughs> Oh, I'm totally right. okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get everything right. So if I make a comment or if I say something in a way that you find to be offensive or culturally inappropriate, would you give me the grace of assuming that I don't know better and help educate me? I love that. I think that is a beautiful tip. Thank you for sharing that right out the gate. <laughs> and you hope it, it works too. I mean, I can't guarantee it works, but I think it's really important to own what you don't know. And, and, I, and you will all, everybody that watches and everybody that's older than both of us knows that the older you get, the more you realize how much you don't know. Right. <laughs> It's really the, the youngest people on the planet that go, oh, yeah, I know it all because, yeah, they don't know enough to know that they don't. It's true. Yes. And I think honesty is always the best policy. I think people can relate to that better and, and give you more of that grace because they know that you're not trying to put on a show or be someone that you're not to look better. Yeah, it's, it's important. I think it's also more challenging than ever because we do have this culture of, hey, gotcha, you yeah. said something wrong. You did something wrong. I'm going to put it on social media. I'm going to ruin you or mm -hmm. just because that's power, right? And it can be misused. And so um, one of my concerns is that part of what I think has led us to this point as a country where we have, you know, almost a 50-50 split between people who voted for Trump and who voted uh, for Biden. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Biden won and I'm not getting into election <laughs> fraud or any of the allegations that were made. He won. That could be another fair. podcast episode. <laughs> but you have a significant portion of the country who didn't vote for him. Mm -hmm. And that part of the country doesn't always know how to talk to the people who did and vice versa. And so what I've found is that um, while I wrote this book with the idea of giving, of, of talking about things I've learned from my own personal experience and, um, sorry, by the way, I wrote a book, um, <laughs> called crossing the divide, <laughs> 20 Let's lessons talk more about that. Cross cultural <laughs> competency. Um, but I, I didn't even know when I wrote it that, that there was going to be this moment in our country on January 6th, that we, we would see the fruit of all of the division that in mm -hmm. some ways can be navigated, not completely, but a good start would be some cultural competency skills that aren't just reserved for across continents and across oceans. They're right in your neighborhood. Yes. Yes. Ooh, I love that. So I want to hear a little bit more about what brought you on this path. You talked about having different places that you've lived and you're growing up, but what really like nailed it for you? Like, this is my path. This is the route I want to take in life. Um, <clears throat> I was 16 years old. I was in, I was in, rural Pennsylvania. Um, I had always wanted to be a Broadway stage actress, which was Ooh. not exactly the uh, 
dream or the aspiration of the young ladies around me in Mobile, Alabama. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, by then I'd lived in the Michigan suburbs and then we moved to Pennsylvania and I was in, I was, I, I guess I was a sophomore in high school. I was doing a lot of singing and dancing. Um, and I was also having this really challenging composition teacher in high school who forced us to sort of argue different perspectives on controversial issues of the day. So that was like assisted suicide. Dr. Gaborkian mm-hmm. was big, um, abortion. Um, we weren't even debating like more like any LGBTQ stuff. Like that wasn't right. even around. Um, no, it wasn't for me either. <laughs> um, and that just shows you how old I am. <laughs> but but the, the issues were, I think, uh, I think it was like, Oh, should we have a homecoming queen? Um, is that, you know, sexist or something? Yeah. So um, then I found out that the teacher married his homecoming queen. And I thought that was a little bit, you know, that was a little bit. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> that was a little bit risky of you to have us write about like a, a class of like, you know, 12 or 18, 16 year olds talking about the pros and cons of having a homecoming queen and you married her. Right. <laughs> um, but I had this, I had this realization on stage at one point where I realized I don't want to be anybody else in front of people. I want to be in front of people, but I want to be myself. And I think, and, and I don't know if I knew at the time that I had something to say, um, cause I, I'm, I'm a very big believer in objective to the extent possible journalism. I'm not an opinion journalist. This mm-hmm. is the first time in my whole career I've ever really talked about what I think. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what I think is that, um, truth exists and we talk about it differently because yes. we don't get the full picture of truth, but, but absolute truth exists. And I think that's important to point out culturally and we can get to this maybe later on. I may be jumping to Q again. You're uh, fine. Not every culture acknowledges that. That's a very Western construct that absolute mm-hmm. truth exists. It's a Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian construct. People in the East don't acknowledge absolute truth. It's fun- right. complete fungible. Um, right. Fun- it is completely fungible. Um, they may not agree with my assertion on that, <laughs> but that's been my observation. So I like that. Um, so one of the things that, that, um, that realization took me to is then I, you know, I started doing much more writing was doing like the little TV program at school where you do the announcements in the morning. Oh, yeah. Um, and I realized I wanted to go to journalism school and I wanted to pick one of the best ones in the country. And so I was looking at Boston University, Syracuse University, and Northwestern, and ended up going to Syracuse University. And that is no dispersions against University of Missouri at Columbia, which is a very good school. I've worked with a lot of good journalists from there. Um, I but, love it. Uh, <laughs> Got to throw that, that little bit in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that, I think that's when I knew. I probably could have known earlier because I was always super curious, really into writing, um, really into learning. And I think those are really important qualities because even though TV journalism is very showy and it's very like performance oriented, ultimately journalism is a public service. It's the only profession that's written into the constitution. And, um, and it, 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 therefore, you know, it gets a, it is a public service and you're not just doing it for fame and fortune. Even if that comes your way, you're doing it to help educate yourself and others. Right. And that's what I love about it too, is that education piece. There's so many things I would never have known if it weren't for journalism and for being able to hear different messages and different opinions. So I love that. So I want to know from you, this cross-cultural competency in the workforce, and even personally, you know, it's been a struggle 
for a lot of places to really start to bridge those gaps. So what have you learned in your years of travel and work about the importance of putting together resources for companies or different places around the U.S. or beyond to help people better bridge that gap? I think one of the most important things is that we assume that the way we look at things is the way everybody looks at things, whether that's our history or how the volume with which we speak, how many gestures we use. We might observe that not everybody's exactly the same, but in America, which is a melting pot, um, we have a lot of grace for those differences um, because our country isn't born of culture. It's born of an idea that all men are created equal, yada, yada, yada. Um, And it's born of an idea that we should have um, a national identity based in an idea, not in Mm -hmm. our culture. We don't, I mean, American culture has, has evolved, but it's still a mix of other cultures. Whereas the French are not, the Germans are not, Saudi Arabians are not. They have other cultures living there, but their culture is pretty, is much more established. Correct. Um, And, uh, and I think because I worked for almost 10 years in a Chinese context, and I very firmly believe that we're living in a century that is going to be much more heavily influenced by China than it is by the United States, um, unless we have some huge changes. Um, And even if those changes occur to where we have two superpowers, the US and China, we're still going to have a lot more cultural influence from China. Mm -hmm. And whether that's the Communist Party, or that's Confucianism, or that's ancient Chinese medicine and Chinese culture. They will I'd be okay with that Chinese medicine. Things. What? I said, I'd be okay with that Chinese medicine. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, there's there, being open enough to say I can learn from all of those things, but also that I, um, I don't have to lose my identity as an American, as a woman, as a mom, as a wife, whatever your identity is in. Um, to relate to people who have a different identity. I think mm-hmm. that's not a message we get or give people now. We, we tell people you have to change. Yeah, right. the way you talk to people has to change, that your openness to people has to change, but your fundamental beliefs, if yeah, you're, you're really passionate you. about something, whether it's a, a religion or it's a um, cause or it's a way to treat people, those things don't have to change, but you will find that a lot of cultures don't treat women the same way, right? Mm-hmm. That, that our culture tries to, we don't do it flawlessly yeah. and our country <laughs> has laws for that. Um, and the same with race. Again, that's, that's the, the gap that we're facing now in our country between the aspiration, right. what's in our constitution, how we're supposed to be treating people equally and what actually happens because we're humans, we're flawed, we screw up and we do terrible things. Yeah. Um, so, um, you were asking me about the, the book and the issue of cross-cultural competency. I just, I think now is the time in the 20, what are we in the 22nd? We're in the 21st century, 21st century, yeah, (laughs) 21st century. (laughs) Um, I feel like we've lived so much in the last like year that it could, we could be in another century. Yeah. yeah, This is in a lot of ways, this is going to be a century where we have even more um, mixing of cultures in our country across companies because of technology, because I don't believe that after the pandemic, we're going to go back to all working in an office. Oh, absolutely. I believe we're all going to probably be working with people from different 
cultures where you will have to accomplish a goal with somebody in India, somebody in China, somebody in Saudi Arabia and somebody in Kenya. Yeah. You know, they'll all be part of some kind of supply chain. I could, I yes. think that's going to much more likely in the next hundred years than it was in the past hundred years. So equipping people with, with, uh, with skills. And, and my book is not tips. It's not, here's when to bow. Here's when to give a gift. Here's, you know, when to use a handshake or when to, you know, use a fist bump or a elbow, um, <laughs> the elbow. You know, because there are cultures who won't shake a woman's hand. Right. And this isn't that kind of book. This is a, here's your mindset. Here's some things you need to think about when you have to work with people. And here's the, here's the things you can hold on to. Re- remember that you, you are special, you are unique and you don't need to lose all of those things about you, but the, the best way to accomplish goals professionally and even in relationships is going to be having this mindset and this um, approach that is um, open. And I come I from that. pretty, uh, come from groups of people that you, that you would argue may not be that open. Like evangelical Christians don't have a reputation for being super open. However, having to bridge the gap between Judaism, Catholicism, evangelical Christianity, deep Southern traditions, Yankeeism, and at all at the same time helped me understand, Hey, there's value in each one of these schools. Let me mm-hmm. take, let me take the best and navigate the worst. Yes. In my, in my opinion, right. From my perspective and learn what I can learn, learn, learn from each group of people. And everybody taught me something. I love that. I think that's so important. So for you, what is a myth about this cross-cultural competency that you wish people understood better? I think it is that identity, that Mm -hmm. your identity does not have to change. Um, I I think that's so refreshing. When you say that, I'm just like, oh, I can breathe again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, I think it's a lie. I think it's a lie that we tell ourselves in and some of that is because not everybody does have it, know where their identity comes from. Let's face it. Not right. all of us do. Um, I happen to have a very deep sense of identity in my faith, which is a Christian faith. But I also, um, I also have had such wonderful conversations about God with devout Muslims yes. or devout Jews. Um, granted, they're monotheistic religions, and so there's a lot more similarities than differences. Um, but I really find you know, I've had like deeply spiritual conversations with a Muslim friend I'm thinking of in particular about her marriage and about my marriage and about parallels that we both found that, you know, we were able to lift each other up. Mm. I didn't try to convert her. I might want to, (laughs) you might want to convert me, but we, but we, we, we found the commonality and we found the relationship and we still have a, a, a good friendship when we get in touch, you know, sometimes even the, the fact that we're both mothers. Yes. That's a huge sense of identity for a lot of women, right? Or fathers, um, a huge sense of identity. So I feel like we're telling people the wrong thing that you, that you can't have an identity that is unique to you. Um, because so much of the conversation right now is about identity. Yes, it is. It's not. And it's about, it's part of the conflict in our country is racial identity, gender identity, national identity. Um, no two people's sense of identity is going to be exactly alike. Even two people that believe the same thing. Oh, absolutely. And might yeah. be right about the same thing. I mean, I, I believe in right and wrong. Like I, I could say, oh no, that person's wrong. But, that does, but, but I also could say in that same breath, well, 
I can find out where our identities are similar and we can still have a conversation and learn from each other. We, we seem to, we just, we're really struggling to do that in our country. Um, and it does not reflect well on the ideals of our culture and our country, our, our broader American culture and our country. And what we, you know, we put ourselves on this really high pedestal. Mm -hmm. We're not living up to that. No. One of the um, best things that one of my coaches ever told me, because I love coaching, is he said, seek to understand before being understood. And that just was so incredible to me. And I, I keep preaching that message over the last 2020 and even into this year of if we just understood people better before we expect them to understand us, I think relationships would improve so greatly. But we want to be the upper hand, right? We want to be better than the other person. And so we don't pause and listen to other people and understand their experiences. And if we did, we would truly begin to love them more. Yeah, and, I, and that's, that's critical. That's absolutely critical. I mean, the parallel uh, lesson in my book <clears throat> to what you're talking about is, you know, what your mom might've said to you, you have two ears and one mouth for a reason because yeah. you're supposed to listen twice as much as you talk. Now, clearly you and I love to talk. Yes. <laughs> so it's even harder for us to be like, oh, let me listen. But, um, but man, I have such visceral memories of times and places in my life where I just shut up. Yeah. And, 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 and in part because sometimes the culture clash was so overwhelming, I had no choice. Like the, the, it was like a physical wall coming towards me, especially when I spent time in Afghanistan and you don't right. have the language skills. It's really a blessing sometimes not to have them and fully understand everything because you have to use every other sense to understand what's going on. And even then you don't, you don't always. Right. Oh, most often you don't. Actually. It's true. Right. But it's a humbling thing. And then it allows you to be open and receptive to what you can learn in that environment, which then helps you in other areas of your life. Yeah. So you talked about mindset in your book. And I think this is a crucial element that sometimes we forget about as human beings, right? We think that we have more of a fixed mindset and we just are who we are and take it or leave it. Right. But for you, as, as you're writing this book and it's about to be released here, what are the impacts of mindset on a person's ability to build meaningful relationships with people who are different from them? Uh, profound, profound uh, impacts. <clears throat> um, I talk about how my secular Jewish grandmother helped me understand more about New York Jewish life and culture because she decided not to excommunicate and cut off my dad when he became a Christian, mm, which she wow. would have been culturally completely allowed to do. It would have been completely endorsed by her friends and family. Um, but she said in her own, she was <laughs> very much ahead of her time in many ways. And I love her story, but she was so progressive that she said, no, I would rather have my son than have him in the Jewish faith. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> that's, and there's almost nothing worse you can do in a Jewish family than to become a Christian. Even Correct. I mean, yes. maybe become a Muslim, like maybe, yeah. but like Hare Krishna, Buddhist, Confucius, like, which, you know, a lot of yeah. things are much more acceptable, but Christianity has so much 
it's so loaded because of what happened in, um, in World War II and the ways in which, you know, Jews are blamed for Jesus's death and all of this. There's just a lot of baggage around Christians. Right. So when you, when you do that as a Jewish man, and he'd made his bar mitzvah and he spoke Hebrew and, you know, he checked all the boxes. The fact that she did not um, close the door on him meant that she and I could have a relationship. And through that relationship, because I, I'm a strong Christian, she's, she was nothing, basically. I'm, I'm over here. She's over here. Um, but we were, we were family and she overlooked our differences. And that spoke of volumes about... Um, the things that I could learn through her and so many wonderful experiences, including the fact that I look like her, that she would take me through her old pictures, that I met all of her friends from the Navy and from nursing school. And oh. we, went to, we went up to, um, to, she was very passionate about women's suffrage. So we went up to Saratoga, um, or excuse me, where is it up in, in upstate New York? I'm having a mind blank. Um, where Susan B. Anthony is from, we, we would, we would tour all of that museum. It's in upstate New York. We went yeah. back to her old college where she finished some graduate courses as a, as a <clears throat> nurse. And I say all that to say that I'm sure a lot of people have great memories with their grandmothers and grandfathers. And it's not just about those memories. It's about the decision to find common ground. When you find, when you look for it, you will find it. Even if you have very little in common, we all have common life experience, whether it's illness or a, the way our relationships form with our parents or our children or the act of, of being a parent or being in a certain kind of work situation. When you, when you look for it and find it and you approach somebody with that common ground, hey, I know a little something about your culture. This is what I really like that I've learned. Um, they're so much more appreciative of the effort that that takes um, and, and especially cultures like the French who when I first started speaking French and going to France was pre-European. Um, we had the European Union, but we didn't have the common currency. And so there really mm -hmm. wasn't, the French have never been great at languages and they would admit to that, but they yeah. didn't have to speak English right. before the common currency when they were getting an influx of, of um, much more trade with English speaking. And that was the common language. They were, they, remember the French were the common language of diplomacy. The United Nations right. still double translates everything into French and English, nothing else um, <clears throat> for its official. Amazing. Um, yeah. And it's, and, and so it's given them this sense that, oh, you know, like, well, everybody will just bow to me. They'll just, you know, make the adaptation to me. Um, but when you speak French, even if you botch it, they appreciate it. They're, you know, they, they know their language is hard. Yeah. <clears throat> so that, that, that's a long way of saying, absolutely. Uh, that is one thing that I think if I'm answering your question correctly. Yeah, the um, mindset's in it. The mindset is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and understanding that, yeah, you know, <clears throat> I think a big lie that Americans have told themselves, and I think we're telling it less because the world is shrinking, that we have the best system, that we have the best perspective, that we're the most powerful, yada, yada. You know, we, we're, we're very pumped up about our, our country, mm -hmm. um, but we don't have a lock on the best ways to do everything. You could very much argue that the Europeans do a much better job of work-life balance. Until the millennials came along, we didn't even have <laughs> paternity leave in many companies, um, you know, until they asked for it. And, yeah. <clears throat> and, the, and Europeans, we don't all have to be working, you know, 20 hour weeks like the Italians, but we could, right. we could work a little bit less than 60 
probably have some quality of life and not die young of a heart attack because we're eating McDonald's all the time. Yes. I'm all for having a siesta. Like that would be perfect (laughs) for me. Yeah. You know, the napping pods that have started to become popular, the idea that, yeah, you might need some sleep and that creativity and sleep are inextricably intertwined. Yes. Oh, there's so much wealth in all of this. I don't want any hate mail. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love this conversation. I think it's a wealth of knowledge here that we're having. So I want to hear more about your book. Let's get into that. So tell us more about your wonderful book that is going to be coming out. All the details that you want to share about it and just take us on a journey for your book. Okay. So thank you. I started writing the book, uh, Crossing the Divide, about a year ago basically to put to paper a lot of stories I had been asked to tell repeatedly orally, um, particularly the story of how I sent myself to Afghanistan 10 years ago as a stringer. Um, Something I'm not entirely sure is still possible, but it was at the time. Um, And so I just, I realized in the course of writing it that there were a lot of lessons about cross-cultural relationships and, and having them that could be helpful. And And so I go back to even that time in Alabama of being kind of a fish out of water, being different from, excuse me, all of these people in my, um, in my school, in my church, because we, I have Jewish heritage. We continue to celebrate Jewish holidays. That felt super weird, especially because like nobody around me was Jewish or even thought being Jewish was even a good thing. Cause in their context, it was like, not cause we're better. Cause we're Christians and we've moved on from that theology, you know? Right. That was the thinking around me. So even owning that part of my personhood was not something I was prepared to do. Um, but I realized that you really can't understand other cultures until you understand your own. And that was the big lesson for me out of that time in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, moving to moving around enough to go from big cities to small towns and thinking, oh, my life is over when I moved to a small town, but it was much more rich because I had a lot more experiences, um, a lot more opportunities because it, I was taking a step back and it wasn't as competitive <clears throat> um, the education was good. So I wound up having some great opportunities in high school and then throughout my journalism career, um, just realizing that Um, my foreign language, which was French had opened up a lot of doors, but still not all of them. Um, I had to really discipline myself to speak only French when I studied over there and only spend time with people that spoke French. That wasn't very popular. (laughs) That would be hard. Um, but I have lifelong friendships from that time in my life. And, and I really did master it. I wound up talking myself into talking my way into a French internship at the local television station, and was one was the first American to get an internship at a French TV station, especially by like going to a New Year's Eve party, drinking some wine and talking my way into it. And the internship coordinator was, I definitely told her this is possible. Like, like, I just did it. Um, That's incredible though. Good for you. A little bit proud, a little bit arrogant about that. Be a, it. Be a little bit arrogant. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know that you, I came up against that thing that that's also a lesson, which is that people have, have layers of comfort that they're just unwilling to go past. And, and in that case, I had set no expectations that of, with myself that I was going to run into any problems. So I had expectations that, uh, that this whole thing I'd asked to be done, this internship was going to be done. And it was not done because, you know, bureaucrats don't push 
hard. That's not their gig. Like that's just not what they do. And that was not her ethos was that she was going to do anything difficult or, or, or without a, a playbook. So I had to write, I had to write it. And then years later, working with, uh, with the Chinese, you know, they have a lot of cultural barriers that they're just not going to go past. They're not going to question authority. They're not going to step out of, a, out of line. They're not going to have open conflict. So yeah. if you are and do those things, um, warn them first. <laughs> Tell them, hey, listen, I've got to do this or this is not or, or we're not going to get to the objective that we're, we're here to do. Um, cause I made some people really uncomfortable. I'm not, I'm still not sure to this day that I could have accomplished those goals without, you know, uh, here's, here's a story. I'm in Sh- Shanghai, the, um, 20 year old translators in the front. <clears throat> she, re- she has no idea how to produce television, much less, um, how to get me to really around, which means breaking rules with which she's definitely not, um, <laughs> does not have the equipment to, to break rules. And that's, to me, one of the main things you need to do with somebody when you're in a new country that right. they speak the language, they need to, have, they need to know the workarounds because you don't. Yes. So we're going around and around and around and the police keep telling us to keep going. They won't let us stop. I need to get out of this car. I need to get into this uh, arena to, to do my job. I'm expected to be live on television. And she's just not saying anything. Oh, oh no. you know, I'm, I mean, I'm getting nothing like, so I roll down the window and I test the lock and I, and at the next stoplight, I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, I, we didn't have to pay him because he was already paid electronically. So I knew who was going to get take care, like, taken care of financially. Right. What I didn't realize is that if he got caught, she told me later, he could get arrested for letting us go oh my at, at a stoplight when, when police were telling him not to essentially. Okay. We didn't do it right in front of a cop. But she was so mad. I was like, listen, like, you've got to, you've got to understand that, like, we have commitments. People right. are counting on us. They've spent a lot of money to put us here to do this thing. It's our job to get it done. If you have to sweet talk, you got to sweet talk. Like, you know, pull rank, do, you know, come up with some, something. Um, and, and granted, I, I did a lot of those. I had a lot of those interactions very sharply and unkindly, and I regret that. But that's what I mean by, hey, I, I should have had a conversation with her like, Hey, listen, there's going to be times we have to break the rules. There's going to be times I ask you to do things that make you uncomfortable. You might just have to go anyway. You can, you can, you can blame me, the foreigner, if you need to culturally. And, um, you know, and we might wind up in jail. Hopefully not. We're not trying to, um, (laughs) at least I'd look different enough (laughs) that might give us a little bit of a chance. Right. But, But really, or not. It could, all, it could also made it, have made it worse. Fortunately, we didn't have to find out. But the, the point of, of, of sharing that story is really like setting expectations that, that different contexts are going to cause cultural discomfort. Not, some people are, and a lot of people are just not going to be willing to go against the, the grain of either their personality or their culture. So just being honest about it and saying, you know, like, this is our job. If you don't like our, you know, if, if you can't do this, maybe you shouldn't come today. Right. Or maybe you should stay in the car. Um, and, and you're going to have to decide how to, how to navigate that, but I'm just going to let you know, this is what to expect. Having some expectations at the beginning of, of interacting with people. And, and I think in the, in the workplace, in a different context of just, you know, being in an office, if we ever get back there again, just let, you know, listen, I'm not going to do everything person uh, perfectly. I'm the kind of person who's going to screw up, but I'm also the kind of person who's going to apologize and, and try to make it right. And please tell me how I can do better. 
and I'll listen. I love that openness in that of, you know, here's, here's what I'm going to try and do. Here's my purpose. Here's all of this. And I'm also going to listen and be available for you. I think that has been missing in the workforce for a very long time. Well, we're afraid to, right? Like, I I mean, the expectations of me in that scenario are frequently like, just do it, like make it look effortless. Don't talk about how you got it done. Just get it done. Yeah. But then the people that are trying to help you get it done, especially when they're thrown into a situation where they don't know how to get it done, they don't learn anything. They just learn that you, you're pushy and evil and nasty. Right. Right. And, and in the Chinese culture, you lose face. I mean, I'm, I'm positive. I lost face with that young woman that was supposed yeah. to be helping me. Um, and, and, and I don't, I don't know if apologizing is enough to recover face. It, it, it often isn't. That's true. And it, but you can take that experience now and now you're using it to help people in your book and to change this problem yeah, the that we have a lot on. of. So <laughs> the book has a lot of mistakes and things that I learned from making those mistakes. I'm not an expert. I think it's important to point that out, but I think it's also really important to learn from somebody who's done things the wrong way so that you can do them differently. Bingo. And I love that. And I love that that's what you are bringing to this space with your book. I think like I'm definitely going to be purchasing it myself because I want to learn more about it. There's always something that we can learn in here. And I think this is just a conversation that needs to really open up and why not learn from mistakes, right? Why not be in that space of mind where you're like, I don't know everything and I'm so open to learn, to grow myself, to see better successes in my life or to help more people. I think that is just really awesome that that's what you included in your book. Yeah. Well, I think it's important because I I could always hear the chorus of voices in the back of my mind of different workplaces going, well, you did this and you did that. And I'm like, yeah, well, let me acknowledge that I didn't always do things well or, or right. Yeah. No, I mean, that, that that's important. Absolutely. I love it. Okay. What are three tips that you can share with us about thriving in, let's see. Nope. Let me rephrase that. What are three tips you can share with us about thriving in cross-cultural environments? Um, know your own culture before you think that you can understand another culture or understand to understand another culture, you do need to understand your own. And I I talked about that earlier, but part of that is just, you, you need a frame of reference, you know? Um, Is it like understanding your own biases so that you're open or? I think, I think that's part of it, but um, you are going to compare other people's culture, personality decisions to your own. And so if you don't understand where you're coming from, you know, um, Volume, the volume with which you speak, the gestures you use, the, the um, level of forcefulness that you have in a new situation or, or kind of boldness. Um, you, can't, you can't expect to understand somebody else's calibration of those same contexts and situations if you don't understand why you um, have a default setting to something else. Oh, and yeah, that makes sense. You know, I get along with Northeasterners really well, in part because that my parents are from the Northeast, even though I haven't spent my whole life living in the Northeast, I've spent part of it. But, um, you know, I love that, that really um, abrasive New York style, but sometimes like, oh, you're a little too much, you know? Yeah. Um, at the same time, I, I love the honesty and the bluntness. Not everybody does. Some people think that's really tacky or really callous, and they'll just be like, yeah, I can't deal with you. 
So, I mean, that, that's just, that's, that's a frame of reference. It's, it's a comparison. Um, another thing I would say is um, that I said earlier to you, I think we were taping, but I'm not sure that you don't have to lose your identity to identify with others. You don't lose who you are, what makes you special and unique um, in order to identify and understand other people. And it's important not to lose that. That doesn't mean you can't change your mind about something. In fact, right. you might need to. Um, but, but who you are doesn't change. Um, I really think of identity as a fixed thing that can evolve, but it's, it's largely fixed, not super like fluid. I don't know. I don't really fully right. embrace the concept of fluid identity. That, that's confusing to me. I'll, I'm wrestling with that right now. Um, and that's okay. We can all wrestle, right? <laughs> I, you know, I've seen it in my own coaching clients. The very first question I ask them is, who are you? And I'm always blown away of people that don't know how to even answer or identify with anything beyond a role for their life. You know, well, I'm wife, I'm mom, uh -huh. I'm sister, I'm friend. While those things are all great, that is not identity. We have to get deeper into that. So I love that you're talking about this as uh, understanding your identity and being aware of who you are, how you're showing up in the world. Yeah, I think it's important. And, and you asked for three. So yes. um, one other one that I think is really fundamental in cross-cultural contexts is that um, concepts like justice, law, and truth are not defined the same across various cultures. And understanding the difference can help you communicate about issues of fairness, right and wrong to people that are from a different cultural background. Um, I think um, that as I may have referenced earlier, uh, you can be culturally appropriate about how you discuss inconvenient truths, but they, but you, you are going to need to acknowledge that there are um, absolutes in some cultures that don't exist in other cultures. Mm -hmm. um, and especially justice law and truth. Like when you read particularly about um, <clears throat> the, the Chinese ethos of winning and losing, um, which, which is really that you need that, that both sides need to have the appearance of winning. That doesn't actually mean both sides win. It means they can both claim victory. Uh, there's also this idea that manipulation and, um, and cheating is perfectly okay in some cultures. Okay. Cultures in particular. So, um, because that is a method of, of getting win. Right. There are people in the West and, and in Western cultures who would say, yeah, no, it's not okay to cheat it, to get ahead. Right. Um, and I'm, and, and that comes with a moral assumption that one is better than another. I'll leave that to other people to decide. I think so, but not everybody shares my view. Um, so just understanding that. And also, I guess I would do one other point, which is that um, history really, <laughs> we have different histories. We have, uh, the Chinese. And, and again, I go back to that cause that's been my frame of reference. Right. They have a history of the world that is different than our history of the world. And they are a much older country and culture than Americans are. So they understanding are. how your history and the facts of your history can actually be false, can actually mm. be massaged can actually be completely different than somebody else's version of events. And we see this, especially with um, territories and who owns what islands and, who, and particularly with Chinese narratives around the South China Sea. And, and the West has different narratives about that with Hong Kong, with Taiwan. Um, all of these territorial battles, you know, if you go back far enough, many groups of people could claim certain pieces of land in this world, right? Right. Um, but 
but all of these play into a history. There's a lot of misinformation with history in the Middle East. Whose, pro whose property is it? When did it cease to be your property? There are people who grow up in school in Egypt believing that um, they won the 1967 war. Oh, wow. Well, how did you get the Sinai Peninsula? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so point being, you don't recognize those, that dissonance until you talk to somebody about that and realize there is fabrication. We all, and it is the, it is the case that the person who writes the history makes the history, right? Absolutely. So, um, the, the, the victors write the history. Um, so I think being conscious of that, because sometimes you come up against and you're like, whoa, you just told me something that I completely think is a lie. Right. Why do I think it's a lie? Why do you think it's true? Instead of being like, you're a liar. Yeah. How about we talk about like, okay, wait, that's not true. Wait, why do you think it is true? That, that conversation will lead you to a better understanding and less demonization, which doesn't really serve the relationship if you want one at all. Right. I think that's a, a very critical point to make. And, you know, I think we want to be right and we forget that our right isn't always someone else's right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are beautiful tips. Thank you for sharing those. My final question for you that you have no idea what I'm going to ask. So I'm super excited about this is who are you becoming? Um, I am becoming more confident in talking about what I think and believe as opposed to just mirroring what other people think and believe with objective journalism. I have not left my commitment to objective journalism, but I think I feel more comfortable with passing time that I do have some perspective that's helpful to communicate openly and even, even as a caveat, you know, even, even as a caveat, because we have, um, I often feel that talking about understanding and talking about being able to appreciate other perspectives makes me come off wishy-washy because mm -hmm. there is that school of thought that says, oh, you know, there's, it's at, there's black, there's white, and there's no gray. Mm -hmm. The reality is there's a lot of gray, and that's why we have disagreement about, about ideas because there is a lot of gray, and there's a lot of different ways to look at things. Again, I would argue that truth is still the same, but you and I could look at my hand and you could look at it from here and I could look at it from here. We could see two different things. Truth didn't change, but right. the way we see it does. So I don't agree with the, the, the sentence, um, you have your truth and I have mine. I have my view of truth and you have your view of truth. Totally. Truth change. I love that. I think that's a great visual too of the hand analogy is it's still the same thing, but you're just looking at it from different perspectives. Yeah. And I want to understand why people come up with a different conclusion than I do. I can and share that close. same, like why drive. I love those kind of conversations <laughs> of where we can find you. And then that will be it. Oh, great. Yep. Um, you can find me at uh, jessica-stone.com and you can find the book um, on that website. Um, you can also order it directly through Amazon. Again, the title is crossing the divide 20 lessons to help you thrive in cross-cultural environments. Um, it is going to be out in the first week of March. And if you want a hardcover, um, you can go to my website and special order that through my website, jessica-stone.com. And please join me from conversation. I have a place where you can engage with your cross-cultural experiences. I'd love to learn from you. I want this to be a conversation. 
I'm not just looking to have you read my perspective. I'd be very interested in learning from those of you, especially those of you who've had different experiences in places I've been to or have been to places I haven't been to. And there are plenty of those. I love that. I'm so excited to go and get your book and be able to be a part of that conversation. I'm grateful that you were on here today to share this with us. It's a conversation that I hope we can continue having over and over and over again in our society, in our workforce, and even in our homes. I think this is a crucial topic and I'm grateful that there are people out there like you who are bridging that gap and helping us to better understand the world around us. Really a pleasure to join you, Talisha. I really enjoyed the time. Thanks again. Well, thank you. Thank you for being on. All right. As always, thank you for listening and sharing this podcast with your friends and your family and leaving your reviews. That means the world to me. Be sure to go grab your copy of Jessica's new book, Crossing the Divide, available on Amazon. Go out there, have courage, be kind, help others, and make today great.